Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, CF. Good morning, buenos dias. So to start off this morning, uh, I'm going to start off uh, with a nice little basket here. And I have my lovely assistant, my wife, Jen. Why don't we thank God for her? You could go down the stairs there. So we're going to do a little, a little game, you could say, in the beginning. And my wife is going to be standing here looking at all of you on the floor in the balcony. And I'm going to ask three simple questions. Okay, three simple questions. And for the person that gets it right, there is a reward for it. Um, now, mind you, there might be a couple of you that get it right at the same exact time. But Jen has the beautiful responsibility to pick a winner and decide who said it first. Who said it first? I just want to highlight Sue Salka is with us, one of our missionaries as well. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, so already I'm going to show you three different trees, okay? And you have to guess what fruit is made in each of them. Okay, ready? This is the first one. Apple, whoever said apple, up there in the balcony. You get some apple. Don't eat it during service though, okay? If I find all these apple pieces on the floor, no, no, it's okay. So maybe someone could help you here. Run it up. Find a volunteer. Who could run that up to the apple winner there? Yeah, that, was, that was pretty. You, you got an apple picking, haven't you? All right. The next one, okay. Oranges. Who said oranges? All right. We got the oranges. All right. Gus is really happy. What's up, Josh? And last but not least, okay? Now, I know some of you are like, I'm not even into these trees, but I'm just going to shoot out whatever fruit comes to my mind. I want want a little snack after church. All right, ready? The next one. Oh, mangoes. Iffy. We got to sit down and have mangoes afterwards, all right? Mangoes. Let me put this over here. I have to say, if he knew right away, he's like, Mango! Jen, I've been saying mango like seven times and you haven't heard me. So why don't we thank Jen once again? And I'm pretty sure that if you're sitting by any of those that one fruit, if you slip them $5, they might cut a little piece for you so you could enjoy too. All right, no, not during service, not during service. I have a question, actually three questions back to back right now. The first one is this, can an apple tree, okay, produce 
an orange. Okay? Can a mango tree produce an apple? Okay? Can an apple tree produce a mango? So obviously, we all know it's impossible to produce those items unless you're from that tree. Now I have another question. How do you produce a Christian? How do you produce a Christian? So I'm going to read John chapter 15, verse 5. It says this, Jesus is speaking. I know we just finished reading the Gospels as well uh, two weeks ago. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you remain in me. Catch the if there. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do Nothing. So I think that's very clear of what Jesus is getting across there. But you know what? I think that we're often mistaken of what it means to be growing spiritually, bearing much fruit, and remaining in God. A lot of times we have it wrong. The same way in the beginning I asked you, is it possible for, let's say, an orange tree to bear a mango or an apple? We said no. Sometimes when we see these things, we think that automatically it's going to produce a growing Christian. And some of the things are, I'll give you an example. The first one is the length of years they've known God. So many times I've talked to someone and it's like, oh, I've known God For 40 years, does that mean that there's spiritual fruit growing from their lives and that they're being transformed from the inside out and they're connected with Jesus? It doesn't mean that. Another big thing is Bible knowledge. I know people that don't believe in Jesus that could quote Bible verses. Better than a lot of people that would say that they're Christian. So Bible knowledge doesn't translate to spiritual growth or someone that's close to Jesus. It's just knowledge. And we know unless you apply God's word in your life, you're really like not doing anything with it. Another thing is titles. Just because someone has a title, it doesn't mean that they're growing spiritually, being transformed by God. They could be called pastor, elder, apostle, bishop. Like there's so many titles up there. And I've said this before. I don't get impressed by titles. I get impressed when I see the fruit of their life, when I see that they truly, truly are following God as a child of God, as a daughter of God, as a son of God. So just because someone has a title doesn't mean that they're close to God. It doesn't mean. So don't just assume just because you hear some title, be like, oh, they must be extra holy. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that they could have a title and yet be far away from Jesus. Another one is being in ministry. Just because you're in ministry, it doesn't translate that you're 
growing spiritually, growing in your closeness with God, and your heart is beating in the same rhythm as his, doesn't mean that. You're just involved in many cases. And lastly, using your spiritual gifts and talents. Many times if you see someone using their spiritual gifts and talents, like, oh, they're definitely close to God. It doesn't mean that they're producing the Christian that God wants them to be. And we clearly see this in Matthew chapter 7. We're not going to go into Matthew chapter 7. But there you hear Jesus saying that there will be people prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, and doing mighty works in his name. But Jesus said, I never knew you. So just because you're in ministry doesn't mean that you're truly becoming the Christian that God wants you to be. So how could you tell if someone's growing spiritually? Jesus said that you could know someone by their fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's the fruit. So if we could see if someone's growing spiritually in their intimacy with God, we would see that growing out of their lives. So I have a question for you today. How are you doing? How's your love? The first one, how is your love? How's the joy in your life? How's the peace in your life? How's the forbearance, the patience in your life? How's the kindness in your life? How's the goodness in your life? How's the faithfulness in your life? How's the gentleness in your life? How's the self-control in your life? And when I'm asking you this, I'm not saying it when all things are going well. I'm saying when things are also going bad. When there's crisis happening, when there's tragedy, um, tragedy in your life, when there's problems in your life, when things don't go your way, does the patience come out? You know, does the love come out? How would those that are closest to you say your fruit is? Uh, how would your suegra say your fruit is, your mother-in-law? Like, how would your family say the fruit coming out of your life is? How would your coworkers say the fruit in your life is? How would your boss say the fruit in your life is? How would that person that you were trying to cut a little bit while driving and they looked at you and said you were the number one person in their life? How is your fruit in those moments of the daily that really could test what comes out from the deepest part of your heart? How's your attitude, your reactions to things? Are you negative? Are you, you don't see things in faith, but what comes out is just a critical spirit, you could say. How are your responses? How are your decisions? 
I think all of us want more of God in our lives. Amen? I know I want more of God in my life every single day. We want more of God's presence in our life every single day. We want God to saturate us from the inside out. We want as much of God as we can get. But we need to realize that our hearts, when we look at God, we could have two, a lot of times, two different postures, you could say, our heart. It's going to be two um, slides. The first one, it says this. Some of us might be like, I want to feel something powerful and receive a blessing. And obviously, there's nothing wrong with what us wanting to feel God. Nothing wrong with us wanting to receive a blessing. But the truth is, there's another declaration your heart should make as a priority over that. A posture of your heart over that, which is the next statement. It says this, I want my heart to be transformed and my life to honor God. That's a completely different approach towards God. Because if we approach God all the time, say, God, I just want this. I want to feel you. I want your blessing. Literally, we want what God could give us from his hand, but we're not really looking into what's in his heart. For those of you that are parents, you could probably relate. Your kids often probably just come up to you and they ask you for things. Like, could I have money? Could I, could you take me here? Could you buy me this? Could you bless me with this, this and this? But how often do your kids pause and say, what's on your heart, dad? What's on your heart, mom? You know, what makes you sad, mom? What makes you sad, dad? What brings joy to your heart, father? Like, you know, when those questions, we as parents, probably you don't hear those questions as often. But we need to see how we approach God. If we approach God just wanting from him, we're just asking what his hand could do, you could say. But I think it's so much powerful to just go to God and be like, God, I just want to get to know you. I want to know your heart. I want you to transform me. I want my life to honor you in every way. And I guarantee you, that God will bless you. God will meet you. But it's really the motive of what our approach to God, because sometimes we just want a blessing. Sometimes we just want an experience, but we're not willing to surrender. We're not willing to get to know God and the Father. So there's a difference. Today, we're going to be looking a little bit into the book of Acts, the book of Acts. So you could Even open up to the book of Acts if you want while you're sitting down. And something I want you to realize is the book of Acts and the book of Luke originally was, they were one book in the Bible, just one. So one big book, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. So It was one book, and pretty much after a hundred years of Jesus being, after he was here on earth, it was split into two. You could say the book of Acts and then um, the book of Luke. Now, I have a little trivia question for you. It's going to be behind me right now. It says, 
Who wrote the majority of the New Testament? How many of you think it's Paul? Raise your hand. Up high, up high. Or how many of you think it's someone else? How many of you don't know who it was and you're raising your hand? Okay. So the person that wrote the majority of the New Testament was not Paul. <laughs> they, they, they gave the Sunday school answer. Like, you know, the, the perfect answer, the Holy Spirit. Definitely the Holy Spirit wrote it. But the person that wrote the majority of it was Luke. Because the book of Acts and the book of Luke combined as a volume is more verses than the 13 letters of Paul. Okay? So Luke wrote 25% of the New Testament. So that was just a little trivia for you. We're going to go back uh, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. Jesus said, but you will receive, what, what will you receive? I heard four or five people say that. What will you receive? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, something I want to highlight in this verse, there's always a purpose to God's power. So many people want God's power, but they don't want to be involved in his purpose. And you see it in the verse there. What's the purpose of his power? To be his witnesses. So God wants to transform your life so you could be his witness all over the world. As we continue, we know that in the book of Acts, Pentecost happened. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So something that's important for us to know, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, is that in the Old Testament, whenever you saw the Holy Spirit, obviously you see him in so many different ways, working and doing things. But when he would be a part, he would pretty much interact with people, you could say, and his presence would interact with them. It would say that, his presence would come upon them or would go on them before. The difference now in the New Testament, you see, and we, we just read right now, it said, it, it said they, there that the presence of God pretty much, uh, it said all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people. In the New Testament, the Spirit of God would fill, saturate the people's lives to the overflowing. And something that's interesting too in the New Testament, it's not a one-time filling, you could say. 
I, I need God to fill me up every single day of my life. There's not one day I could go and walk through this life without God's presence and him guiding me and helping me and transforming me and speaking to me and for me to heal, heal here. I say heal and also heal, heal me as well. So there's not one day I could go through life without him. And I want him to fill my life. How many of us want God to fill our lives? It, it's, I, I don't want, so many people, like the other day I was talking to someone and I wasn't even planning to share this, but I was just talking to someone and we were just talking and then he just looks at me and he's like, Carlos, but like, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't believe in religion. And I look at him, I was like, I actually don't like religion either. I don't really believe in religion too. And his head like pretty much like was like, what in the world is he talking about? Um, he's like, well, you don't believe in religion. I was like, I don't want religion in a sense of just going through the motion, going through uh, like, like going through the motion, going through routine, doing things outwardly. I want a relationship with God. I want to hear his voice. I want to go through the day and feel God's leading and whispers and knowing what he wants me to do every single day. Not what I want to do. It is completely, completely different. Something that always gets me is that the day of Pentecost, the people that were gathered in the upper room, could anyone guess how many people were there? 120. 120 People were there, but I, those that were, that were there, they had their hearts prepared. They had their lives empty of all the nonsense of the world. They were just completely focused on wanting more and more of God in their life. They wanted to do God's will. They wanted to do whatever, whatever it ta- uh, took. They wanted to do God's will, even if it meant they had to die for the cause. They were willing to die. They were willing to do whatever. They just wanted more and more of God in their life. So those 120 had such a powerful, powerful moment. But you know what's amazing is that it's estimated that on that day of Pentecost, in Jerusalem, there were 100,000 people. And such a powerful moment happened. And 120 of them were blessed by it because they were, their hearts were prepared to receive it. So many people, the day of Pentecost, so many people were probably shopping in the stores, taking Ubers, I mean donkeys, like different places. Like, you know, they were going through their regular routine But yet, Pentecost is happening. So many people missed it. Some people saw what was happening and actually started making fun of it, saying they must be drunk or something. And then Peter's like, it's nine in the morning. But 100,000 people and only 120 experienced it. Now, I have a question for you. It's going to be behind here too. 
If you were living in those days, would you have been one of the 120 in the upper room? If you were living in that day, compared to how you live now, you could say, do you think you would be at that moment in Pentecost? Or is your life just consumed with work? Is your life consumed with your career? Is your life consumed with your um, pre-much schooling? Is your life consumed by good things too? Just your family just consumes your life, but yet you haven't spoken to God in such a long time. Because the reality is that there were so many people that missed it on that day. And we need to ask ourselves, would we have missed it? Would we have missed it? ourselves. If I had to paint a picture to you of what most Christians in this world would look like, you could say, if I had to break it down to two categories, I mean, mind you, there's a lot of different categories and I'm not saying like, this is like the definitive amount of category two, I'm just highlighting two. And I'm not necessarily saying one is really bad or anything like that, but there is a difference between the two. So here, I'm just going to move this up a little bit more so I won't be in the dark. I don't want to drop these because that wouldn't be good if I drop them. So here you have two vases, and I just want to give you a picture, and you could imagine Two Christians, you could say, here. They both accept Jesus into their life. So the Holy Spirit comes in them. They have the Holy Spirit in them. But if I had to boil things down to two categories of the majority of Christians in this world, they would look like this. There's really just two categories to really focus on today. Both of them have the Holy Spirit in their lives, but just one of them is full of God's presence. There's a difference between the two. I'm going to highlight to you, let's say, a church Christian as an image here behind me, a church um, Christian. You could picture this, someone that attends church, attends. Let's say they accepted Jesus, so the Holy Spirit is in their life. They made Jesus a savior of their life because Obviously, we need Jesus. We need to realize the sacrifice he made on our behalf. And we need to believe in him for the forgiveness of our sins because of the punishment that he took in our place. But we all want a savior. All of us. We like to see Jesus as a savior because we like to be rescued from hell, rescued from our problems, rescued from our issues. So many times when things are going bad, 
even people that wouldn't even consider themselves Christian, they'll be calling out to God because they want rescuing. So we all need a savior, but someone that attends church is easier for them to see God as just savior. They see the next step, you could say, as attendance. I I will attend church, but we know that we're the church. It's not a building, but they see it almost as a place to go, like an event on a Sunday that I need to attend and be a part of. There is a possibility that they want to take it a step further and they might be a volunteer. And trust me, we love volunteers. We recruit volunteers. We want everyone to be plugged in as a volunteer. And there's nothing wrong, of course, being a volunteer, but you need to listen to the full picture for me to highlight what I'm trying to emphasize. And then after being a volunteer, they might even be a leader as well. But the situation with this is that there's another journey, you could say, another five levels of a little like tiers that you could do that will really take you to a different course. Um, Before we go there, I just want to let you know this, that you could be a volunteer. you You could attend church. You could be a volunteer. And you could be a leader sometimes in church too. And your life look like this. You could attend church every Sunday, but yet not be full of God's presence in your life. You could be a volunteer on a weekly basis, probably even three or four times, but your life could still look like this, not be full and filled with God's presence. You could even be a leader. And when I say leader, I'm talking about every level. You could be a pastor and your life looks like this. Because we all have the responsibility to walk the other path, the other journey that I'm going to highlight. This is, there's something wrong with this picture. God wants us to be filled completely. Now, I highlighted, you could say, the church attender Christian. Now I'm going to highlight the biblical Christian, the next image there. They start off the same. They accept Jesus into life and the Holy Spirit is there. But they don't just see Jesus as Savior. They see Jesus as Lord of their life. And there is a big difference. Because when Jesus is the Lord of your life, he's the king of your life. So he's the one that calls the shots. Like the person that's sitting in the throne of your heart, it's not you anymore. It's God that's sitting in the throne of your heart. It's not what you want to do anymore. It's what God wants to do through your life. And at that moment, when you say Jesus is Lord, you need to realize what that that truly means. But when you do that, the moment you say Jesus is Lord, you're automatically saying all the other things in your life. You're not Lord of your life. Your your job is not Lord of your life. Your career is not Lord of your life. Your relationships are not Lord of your life. Not even your family is Lord of your life. These are good things, but they're still not Lord of your life. You need to know who's the Lord. All these things are not, fear is not going to be the Lord of my life. 
Worries is not going to be the Lord of my life. My problems are not going to be the Lord of my life. My circumstances, my hurts, my pains, my past, my present, my future, all those things, all those worries and cares and everything that might be with that, that's not going to be the Lord of my life. Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life. So the moment you make that declaration, you know what happens? You start removing stuff that might be filling the vase and making room for God's presence to be poured into your life more. So there, the biblical Christian accepts Jesus, you could say, into life as, a, uh, as their savior, you know, initially, sees them, um, sees Jesus as Lord, and also takes it to another level and surrenders everything. Everything. When I say surrender everything, it's that you don't hold anything with your hands anymore. Nothing belongs to you. Your house is not yours. Your apartment is not yours. Your car isn't yours. The money you have in the bank, I don't care how much money. It could be a lot of money. It could be two quarters. It's not yours. Everything in your life, everything in your life belongs to God. And you, when you get to this point, you, the place of surrender, you're like, you know what, God? It's like, I don't want to even hold anything because when I hold things, I tend to mess things up anyway. And you know, so many times I talk to people be like, Carlos, but you got to understand, I got to get my life together first before giving everything to God. Be like, look, you've been trying to get your life together for the last 38 years. You haven't been able to <laughs> try Jesus. You know, like, it's like give everything to Jesus. And so many times Christians, we give things to God. We give it to God. We bring it to the altar. We might lay it at the cross. And pretty much before everyone leaves, we come back and we pick it up again. We are in the morning. We might pray, give something to God, but yet we take it away from the front of his throne, thinking that we could handle things or do things better than he can. Let me tell you, in my life, there's so many situations sometimes and issues and problems. And I just leave it in God's hands and I just pray and it gets resolved. And like, like miraculously it gets resolved. And sometimes they're like, oh, Carlos, thank you for what you did or whatever you did. I was like, yo, I didn't do anything. It's just God is the one that's always working behind the scenes. The next step to go deeper, because we want to make sure we remove everything out of our life so our life could look like, look like this, is holiness. Not only surrender everything, but holiness. You know what holiness means? It means to be separate, set apart for God. Your entire life is separate from God, like, you know, for God. You no longer will be dabbling with one foot in the world and one foot following God. A hundred percent is with God. You're no longer saying, Jesus, I love you on Sunday, but entertaining sin every day of your life thinking it's okay to curse, thinking it's okay to have a lustful lifestyle in relationships and doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, but you live on the fence. But holiness means that you're going to step over and be 100% following God. You're not going to play games with God anymore. You're not going to pretend. There's so many times that Christians look just like the world. There's no difference. So many times they look just like the world. And it's simply because of this. They accepted Jesus 
they have a little bit of the Holy Spirit, but the rest of their glass is filled with the world. They haven't taken this journey of these five tiers to really surrender and give everything to God. So when people see them, they're quick to say, oh, I'm a Christian. because They're speaking out of this part. But what everyone else sees in their life is the world that's in them as well. So there's a big difference with that. And, and so many times Christians want to fall in line with the, what the world is saying. You know, I don't care what the world says. The world can say whatever they want to say. And whatever they want to say, I don't care if they say it's right in any way, shape, or form. All I know, I'm going to gear my life towards the word of God. If the world is saying something is right, and the Bible clearly says it's wrong, I don't care if there's billions of people saying that it's right. It's wrong. It's wrong. You know what I mean? Because the Bible is our truth and our anchor, and this is what we live our lives by. So what the Bible says is right and wrong is what we steer our lives by. It's not what the world says. But so many times people see it as being popular to go along with the, what the world says is right. But we want to follow Jesus. And lastly, the next step is death to self. Death to self. Literally getting to this point, and I'm thinking of Paul in Galatians 2.20. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Apostle Paul was saying, you know what? Paul is dead. In Galatians 2.20, what pretty much the Apostle Paul was saying is like, you know what, guys? Welcome to my funeral. That's what Galatians 2.20, Paul is saying, welcome to my funeral. On this day, I declare that I'm dead. I no longer live, but Christ is the one that lives in me. And this life that I'm going to live in the flesh, I will live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and will be transforming me and making me into the person that he wants me to be. And that moment for each of us, we, this is like a very powerful moment, but most Christians don't get to this point. No, most Christians don't want to give up living their life. They don't. And the truth is following Jesus isn't easy. Whoever's telling you that following Jesus is easy, they're lying to you. It's not. Jesus wants you to lose your life so you could find it, okay? But anyone that literally, it, like, if, like you need to realize that you will only find your life when you actually lose it in God. Every single one of us, God has dreams, goals, purposes for us to accomplish in this life. And many of us, in life in general, Christians in general, they won't do it, end up fulfilling what God had for their life because they live their life as a Christian looking like this and not full of God's presence. Now, I'm going to ask you a very tough question. Which Christian are you? 
out of these two. Remember, I mentioned before, there's other categories and everything like that. And there's nothing necessarily wrong, let's say, being a volunteer, being a leader and attending church. All I'm saying is that this is the fullness of the potential, what God has for your life. And if you're here, you're really missing out on a lot. You really are. Because God wants your life to look like this. I know we want more of the Holy Spirit. And what I love about the book of Acts is that the book of Acts highlights the Holy Spirit in such a special way. And so many times people might look at the Holy Spirit and they might just see it as the experience or the event or just the the moment of power that the Holy Spirit is operating, which obviously it's amazing and miraculous. But there's so many things with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God and he's a person and he's able to talk to you, encourage you, build you up, guide you, warn you, lead you, like do so many things in your life, comfort you. And I know that we need him more in our life than ever before. I'm going to highlight a couple verses from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, I'm just going to highlight certain sections of it, not the full, full, full verse. It says this. It says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And I just want to highlight that because just to highlight the fact you could actually resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit right now, this moment, could be knocking at the door of your heart, trying to get your attention trying to get you to realize where you are at the moment. But in so many ways, we could resist what God is trying to do in our lives. Don't resist what he's trying to do in your life. In Acts chapter 11, verse 12, it says this, the spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. I just want to highlight these little verses for you to just to see the Holy Spirit, the way he's operating. He told them not to have any hesitation to go with them. I don't know about you, but I want to hear the Holy Spirit's whisper every day of my life. Hey, hey, Carlos, go with them. Hey, hey, Carlos, don't go with them. It's like, hey, Carlos, be careful with this one. Hey, hey, Carlos, you got to help this one. The Holy Spirit wants to whisper in your life every single day. In Acts chapter 11, verse 28, it says this, Through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal things to you of what's to come. Like, how amazing is that? That the Holy Spirit wants to give you insight of things that are coming in the future to be able to help you better prepare and lead in those moments as well. In Acts 13, 4, it says this, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Every day when you leave your house, how cool would it be that the Holy Spirit sends you out of your house as you proceed to go to work to go to school, to do your chores or whatever you got to do, to return your packages from Amazon that you order and you thought it was the right size and you got it wrong. I know that's many of you guys um, as well. 
I got to do that tomorrow. Yeah, I got to do that tomorrow. So Acts um, chapter um, 15, verse 28, it says this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that verse. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. I could just picture the disciples talking. It's like, I don't know what to do. Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? It's like, it seems good to me. That You can look it up yourself. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. How I wonder how many messes in our lives could have been prevented if we would have consulted with the Holy Spirit without making the decisions first. If we would have just talked to the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking about small decisions to big decisions. I'm talking about relationships. How many boyfriends or girlfriends blinded you and got your life in such a mess, you could say? Maybe you didn't consult with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was the way you spent your money. Maybe it's the way that you're spending your time. It's like consulting the the Holy Spirit is such a powerful thing. And just two more verses. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And now, compelled by the Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit in your life compelling you and leading you and taking you to the places that he wants you to go, even when they're not good places, even when your life might be in danger, But you know you're obeying God, and there's no more beautiful thing that you could ever do. Someone once asked me, Carlos, what is success? And the person I was talking to wasn't a Christian, wasn't stuff, because we were talking about success. And to him, success is having a lot of money, having a lot of homes, having power, having titles, pretty much doing whatever you want to do when you want to do it and being able to travel the world and just pretty much be the king of your life. And he asked me, like, Carlos, what do you think success is? And I said, success to me is obeying God and accomplishing what he wants me to do. It's not about the money It's not about anything else that the world might have to offer. In the end of the day, you can have it all, but you could lose your own soul. You could have it all, but what it's going to profit you if you lose your own soul and not do what God has called you to do. And lastly, Acts chapter 20, verse 23, it says, The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I want the Holy Spirit to warn me, to prepare me for things to come. Not just the good things, but the bad things too. Because when you follow God, if anyone told you following God was going to be easy, they're lying to you. Because the reality is, it's not easy. And he never guarantees that everything is going to be, go well the way that you think it's going to go. But he does guarantee he's going to walk this journey with you every step of the way. So as we close this service, I want to ask you again, how's your life today? 
something that's powerful about the Holy Spirit is he wants to consistently fill your life. Because some of us might have at one point experienced feeling filled with God's presence, but we fell back here because we emptied out what God put in us and we filled it with the world. And we've been like this for a while. But God wants us to be filled with his spirit. But the choice is yours. Now, how I mentioned, we've accepted God. Have we made him the Lord of our life? Have we surrendered everything to him? Have we drawn the line and said that we completely belong to God, having holiness in our life? And have we died to ourselves? Because that journey there, that journey is the journey that's going to create the space in your life so that you could be filled with God's presence. And there's no, there's no greater thing than to have God flowing in your life to the overflowing. Earlier, I asked you, where would you have been in back then in that time of Pentecost? A hundred thousand people in Jerusalem, but 120 people decided, it's like, you know what? I want everything God has for me. I don't want what the world is offering. I'm not willing to go through this life without having God saturate me to the overflowing. And whatever's in the way, it's coming out. I'm making room for God because God is the only one that belongs to be in my heart as king of my life. 120 decided that in the day of Pentecost. And God, God met them in such a powerful way. 100,000 people there and 120 decided. In Elizabeth right now, there's 150,000 people that live in Elizabeth. I don't know how many people are here, but... More than 120, let's say, or 120, who knows? I wonder if we would be the ones that we would encounter God's presence. Earlier, I asked you, would you have been one of the 120 in the upper room? Now I'm going to ask you, are you going to be one of those today? Today. Because God is still searching this world for people that are willing to lay it all down. Not to play church, not to play games, not to have one foot in the world and one foot following him. He's looking for people that are laying down their entire life, surrendering everything, dying to themselves every single day, picking up their cross every single day and following God, regardless of where God is going to take them. Because they know that there's no greater honor and privilege than to obey God. And then what's amazing is when you choose to make that decision, Decision. And decisions are the most spiritual thing you could do. When you make those decisions, you make room for the Holy Spirit to fill you. You make room for the Holy Spirit to be like, all right, now I have a heart that's willing for me to be poured into. But that starts with you making a decision. If everyone could bow their heads. 
during this song that's going to be sung, if you want to surrender everything, if you realize that you just don't want to attend church anymore, you want to be the church. You don't want just to be a volunteer or just a leader or just someone that might know about God. You want to be someone that follows him the way the Bible expresses. Someone that chooses to make Jesus as the Lord of their life. Someone that chooses to surrender everything to God. Someone that chooses to live in holiness and be separate unto him and away from the world when it comes to the things of the world. And also someone that's willing to die to themselves. If that's you and you want to be filled with God's presence, And for God to meet you here at the altar, you're invited to come forward now. Come forward now. Don't do it for anyone else. Don't worry about the person next to you. You know how your heart is. And if your life looks like this and you want it to be like this, the altar is open right now. You could stand to your feet and come forward. And for the rest of you, we're going to ask all of you to stand as well, just so that we would be able to spend this time in worship. But if you want to surrender everything, come forward here at the altar. Spirit of the Lord is here. Even right now, where you are, I want you to whisper and talk to the Holy Spirit right now. Let the Holy Spirit hear your whispers from your heart. Talk to him. Let him know what you're surrendering. Let him know what you're deciding on this day. Let him hear from your own voice that you need him. Part of your life, fill, filling your life to the overflowing your entire life. Speak to him now. Holy Spirit, as we're gathered here, we even raise our hands and surrender. Holy Spirit, fill us to the overflowing. We give you permission to remove anything in our lives that doesn't belong and just flood our lives with your presence, Lord God. Forgive us for resisting you. Forgive us for hurting you. Forgive us for not obeying you. We surrender everything to you. And Jesus, we declare that you are the Lord of our lives. We declare that you sit on the throne of our hearts. You're the one that calls the shots, God. It's not us any longer, God. And Father God, we thank you for your amazing love for each and every one of us. You're not looking for perfection. 
You're just looking for us to run back home into your arms and be in your presence. Thank you for your great love, for sending your one and only son to die on the cross for each and every one of us. So God, we just commit this day into your hands. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of the day. As a reminder, in the lobby, you could get information about the bridge. You could sign up if you want to come to the Hispanic Heritage Month event on Saturday. You can sign up for that and also our marriage as well and Disciples Path. God bless you. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.